to 1. The first few verses, and you'll find that, if I remember, from this morning, uh, from on page 1002, I think it is. Let's have a little look. Yeah, 1002 um, in the Bibles that are there. Uh, let me read uh, these few verses, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read the first uh, eight verses together. Mark writes, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, It is written in Isaiah the prophets, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I was just saying to a few people beforehand that we had the experience uh, on Boxing Day of driving um, through a blizzard, Uh, not something I've particularly done before, Um, and on roads that hadn't been cleared or were in the process of being cleared, but they hadn't got to our bit yet. And uh, we we ended up, um, actually Catherine ended up, um, because I was asleep at this point, um, I'm sorry to say, but I did eventually wake up and and take my part. driving um, on a, a quite a high up viaduct um, just outside Geneva uh, on a motorway that was sort of this thick in ice and another bit in, in snow. And um, we were sort of okay because we had all-weather tyres on, um, although the cars that were around us that clearly didn't have all-weather tyres on were simply um, all over the place. But even with all-weather tyres, before we put our snow chains on, it was uh, really quite unnerving. And, and if you've driven for quite a few years, um, I don't know how many years I've driven for, I don't know, 25 years or something, um, you take for granted that when you point your car in a particular direction, it's going to go there. You take for granted that when you brake, pretty much it's going to stop. That when you accelerate, you're going to go forward. It, it's, it's sort of second nature. You, it, the car just does what you tell it to do. And then suddenly it's not. And, and you, you sort of think of the brake in a whole new way. Um, of what's going to happen when I press this. Is, are we going to stop? Are we going to slide? Um, uh, you hardly dare touch the accelerator and you're trying to steer very, very gently and suddenly the whole thing feels much, much less certain, much, much less clear. I was thinking this week that actually when it comes to faith that perhaps we have known for many, many years, there's an awful lot that we take for granted just in the wheels turning of faith. We pretty much take for granted the, the weekly rhythm of church. We take for granted maybe that we pray. We take for granted that God is there and that this is how it feels. And then things happen. And sometimes it's stuff out in the world out there. Um, it may be a particular event that happens in the world. You may have been particularly um, affected um, in your heart by what's been going on in Paris this week. Um, I, I remember... Um, still remember vividly the day of the the Twin Towers um, attacks 
and of that real sort of gut sense of the world feels a different place now. Um, even though, I, I guess, around the world for thousands of years, terrible things have been done by human beings to one another. You just have particular things that seem to connect. And when the, when the road underneath your wheels, as it were, suddenly feels less certain, and this faith that you're driving through it suddenly feels less sure, um, and you feel less confident with it. Of course, it doesn't have to be something huge on, on a big scale. Uh, it can be something that happens in your own life or in the life of somebody that you love. And it, it, it makes faith feel rather less certain, rather less sure. And it seems to me that that's, a, that's the moment where we have to stand back from faith and ask ourselves the question, what is this thing that we're driving? What is the Christian faith? What is it that we're doing by being what we call followers of Jesus? What is this thing about? And that connects absolutely in with this first little bit of Mark and his gospel. And it connects with this series that we're doing this term in terms of the good news. Because what Mark wants to say as he sets out on this book is he wants to say, this thing that I'm going to tell you about um, is news for you. And it's that that faith is shaped by. Now, we've said over the last couple of weeks, but I just want to sort of go back over it again. It's this question of whether faith is primarily something that's opinion or something that is fact. So for many people, they would look at the book of Mark or maybe look at the Bible as a whole and say, okay, this book, I guess many people would take it as simply a set of values, that it communicates what you might call Christian values or or, um, Judeo-Christian values. Um, This is the sort of person you should be. You should be nice, you should be kind, you should be generous, self-sacrificial. And whereas the Bible contains plenty of values, actually the writers of it would say that's not the primary thing it was written for, simply to communicate a set of values. There's plenty of people that would look at the Bible and say, well, slightly differently from that, maybe the Bible is primarily a rule book, a way to live, do's and don'ts, commands, things that we should and shouldn't do. And again, although the Bible has plenty of commands in it, it's not primarily about that. Nor is it primarily a religious textbook. It's not the sort of thing where you have a religious question and you go and find the appropriate page in the Bible and look it up. You know, what what does God think of this? Or what does God think of that? Oh, I'll look it up. Like it was a a maths textbook or a, a French dictionary. What the Bible seems to say again and again is that what it is primarily there for, what it is rooted in, what it is built on, is to communicate a a set of events that have happened in history and to interpret them to us. Say, these things have happened and because of that, we can know what God is like. We can know how to live. We can know who we are. And that makes sense of Mark's very first sentence of his gospel where he says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the son of God Um, you probably uh, many of you will know this already but the the word gospel the English word gospel is a translation from a Greek word the word that Mark would have written euangelion and euangelion means good news that's what gospel means it simply means good news and euangelion itself comes from a pair of words um, one of which is angel or angelos because an angel is simply a messenger. So it's, it's something, it's, a, it's a, a piece of news that is communicated, that is messaged, and it's good. 
And primarily in Mark's day, it was used by the Roman Empire to communicate victories. If the emperor had won against the barbarians, I don't mean the rugby team, I mean the the original barbarian tribes, um, he would send round messengers, angelos, angels, send round messengers, and the messenger would arrive in a village or in a town and they would proclaim the euangelion, the good news of a victory. And the victory was a victory over something or over someone, and it changed history. This wasn't a small thing, this wasn't an opinion that was being communicated, a matter of, isn't the emperor wonderful? No. Nor was it, here are the new rules that the emperor has. Wasn't that either. It was, the emperor has done this. This thing has happened, this victory has been achieved, it's good news. Not just a good opinion, a good rule, a good value, a good way of life, a good religion, good news. And it changes things. If the emperor really has won that victory, well then either the empire is extended or it's made safe, but something's changed. The future is different because of this thing that has happened. So what Mark is doing is he's saying, this thing I'm about to tell you about, this good news, isn't simply my opinion. It's not simply a different way to live. It's not a different way to be. It's not about being nice It's not about being religious. It's about believing that God has done something. A victory has been won. Good news. Something has actually happened. Again, it's not simply an aspiration either. Um, I was following Mark's Facebook um, uh, posts. Was it yesterday you were at the Harlequins game? And uh, partway through the Harlequins game, there were some photos came up um, because Quins were, were winning which was, I shouldn't say quite, sound quite so surprised, but it's not been the best of seasons, has it? Um, Quinns were winning. And at that point, Mark was sounding all sort of hopeful, you know, and, and a try had been scored and, you know, on the, on the front foot. But at that point, it was, yeah, sort of news, but it wasn't good news in the sense of a victory. It was good news in the sense things were heading the right way, but it wasn't what Mark would have called a euangelion. It was, at that point, hope and aspiration, desire, longing. It was... Is it going to happen? And then at the end of the game, we won. Now that's euangelion, at least in this sense. It, it's good news. Something has happened. A victory has been won. You can't take it back. Things have changed. They're higher up the table. I don't know. They've got more points. They're... Something's happened. Not opinion, not hope and aspiration, not a different way of life. A thing has occurred in history. And what Mark is saying is, in the person of Jesus Christ... Something has happened. Good news. A victory has been won. The world is different. Tomorrow is going to be different because, says Mark, the beginning of the good news, the euangelion about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then what Mark writes about what his message then makes sense of what John the Baptist comes along to do. Because John doesn't come preaching simply a, a, a nice set of ideas or a set of values either. John comes along and says, get ready, that's the be baptised bit, because someone is coming who is good news. Someone is coming who is God stepping amongst us. Get ready. This idea of being baptised is about being prepared. So Isaiah the prophet promises that somebody will be sent like a, in the earliest days of the, 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 the car, 
apparently somebody had to walk ahead of the car with a red flag because they were so worried it was going to run people over. It was clearly going slowly enough that somebody could walk ahead of it. So you have the red flag person and they were saying, there's a car coming, get out of the way. Well, that was effectively John the Baptist's job. His job was to say, get ready, something is about to happen, someone is coming. And the way he did it was to say, be baptised as an act of repentance. And repentance is a word that literally means turn around, a change. So he's saying, you're facing that direction, be baptised and repent so that you are facing what's about to come. The good news is coming, he says. And then when Jesus comes, he's pointing at him. He's pointing away from himself to the one who's to come. Some of you here in the the Christmas service where I had, um, uh, I think it was Daniel, um, came up to light the the fourth Advent candle. Um, And when he was up the front, I was talking about John the Baptist. I was saying, right now, everybody's looking at Daniel. Um, But then Paul Tuck was, I'd been playing bass and he was going to sit back down again. And I just got Daniel to simply point at Paul as he went and sat back down. And of course, everybody started looking at Paul. Um, we carried on pointing at him after the service just so that he remembered but the the idea there was to actually say well that's what happens when you point you look away from the pointer and you look at the person being pointed to John the Baptist was saying this isn't about my opinion this isn't about my values this isn't simply good theology this isn't a new religion that I've invented this is someone who's coming that makes a difference this is good news and for Mark and for John before him In the person of Jesus Christ, the message and the messenger, the good news and the good newser are one and the same person. Jesus is both the angelos, the angel, the messenger of God's good news, and the good news himself. Because Jesus didn't come either simply to say, look, I've got a new set of commands for you. He didn't come to say, I've got a nicer way to live. He didn't come to say, I've got a new religion for you to enjoy or a better way of being community. He came to say, I've come that you might have life. I've come to win a victory. I've come to do something, to live, to die, to rise again. Now, there are two main reasons, two main things that make um, the Christian faith utterly, distinctly, genuinely unique amongst all faiths that you will ever come across. And they both come at this point. They, they both sort of come together at this, this, this word gospel, good news. Because the Christian faith is unique for these two reasons. One is that in the Christian faith, we believe God has made the first move. God has stepped towards us in Jesus before we've ever done anything for him. It's grace. That is utterly unique. You will not find that in any faith anywhere outside the, uh, the Judeo-Christian Um, faith at least you just won't find it in every other faith and approach the belief is we have to get our way to God and then he might approve of us in Jesus we find God stepping towards us running towards us actually with arms open wide on the cross when you and I have our backs turned on him and that brings us to the other reason the other thing that makes the Christian faith utterly unique And it is that rather than simply stating that as an opinion, stating that as, I have this new vision of God and I'm going to tell you what God is like, the Christian faith doesn't say that. It says, look, this happened. It's good news, not just a good opinion, 
not just a nice value or a good way of life. It's good news, something that is claimed to have actually happened. Jesus left footprints in the dust of Palestine, really born, really lived, really died, really rose again. No other faith around the world you will ever find says this is all about something that happened. God stepping onto the pages of history. And yet Mark is absolutely convinced. Mark hasn't written a book to tell you his opinion, simply. To tell you a better way to live, he's written a book to tell us something that happened. And for him, that's the whole game. That's the whole deal. If you look here to this bit of history, he says, it's good news. It's a victory that was won. And just like the emperors declared victory over the barbarians, because of this victory that Jesus has won, says Mark, over life, over death, over sin, because of that victory, tomorrow is different. It changes history. Now, it seems to me if that's true, it certainly is true that that is what the Christian faith claims. If that's true of the Christian faith, it changes two big things. It firstly changes the way I think about my friends or family or colleagues that don't yet know Jesus for themselves. But it also changes how I view my own faith. It changes how I view my own faith because actually when I'm in that, um, to go back to the, the sort of picture language at the beginning, when I'm in that car and I'm sliding around and the world feels like it's falling apart around me and suddenly faith feels a rather less secure place to be sitting, it reminds me that the whole point of faith is not simply that it's just one opinion amongst many, just a different way to live, a different culture, a different value. It has very firm foundations. It says, this thing happened. And that's where you stand. I'm not standing on just an opinion. I haven't simply found a better way to live that if I maybe go another month of my life, I might find a better, better way to live. I haven't simply come up with a nice way of thinking about God, and yet if in a month or two's time, I might find a better way of thinking about God. Actually, the question is, did Jesus really live? Did Jesus really die? Most of all, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if he did, well, whatever my opinion, whatever my values, whatever my culture, it happened. That's the good news. This thing happened in history. And if we're exploring faith or chewing over faith or wrestling with faith, the big question we have to ask is not, does it feel right, primarily, Not primarily, do I have all the answers? Does it all make sense? Not primarily, even do I feel like I need it? The question is, did it happen? Is it true? Did Jesus really walk on this earth? Did he really live and die? And most of all, did he really rise from the dead? Because if he did, that's good news. A victory won that changes history. But it also changes how we think about those who maybe don't own the same faith we do we'd be odd I guess if we weren't affected at least a little bit and maybe we should be actually by the sense in our culture at the moment that we want to be ever so careful before we tell anybody else that we disagree with them particularly about religious faith Uh, particularly at the end of the week that we've just been in the sense of wanting to make community stick and step away as quickly as we can from anything that might pull people apart is rightly at the top of the agenda. 
But this isn't about a war between peoples, and this isn't about one person saying to another, my values are better than yours, my opinion is better than yours, my way of life is somehow above yours. This is a question of, did this happen? Did Jesus really live and die and rise again? And if he did, well, then that's good news for everybody. Whatever culture, whatever background, whatever values they bring to the table, he either did or he didn't. That doesn't mean we have to go in fists flying, big punctinacious, looking down on others. It simply means we can point away from ourselves to the one that we follow and say, explore Jesus, get to know Jesus, read a gospel, find out what you think of this man who claims to be the one who is the good news as well as the good newser. See, Jesus was the one person in all of these many hundreds of pages, thousands of pages of scripture, he's the one person who doesn't do what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist, Isaiah the prophet, uh, the psalmists, Paul, wherever you look, all of them are doing this. Every single one of them is pointing away from themselves. Sometimes they're pointing up to their heavenly father, sometimes they're pointing across to Jesus, but they're pointing away from themselves. They're saying, here's the good news. God has acted. Here's the good news. Jesus has lived and died and risen from you. Jesus points to himself. The only really good religious teacher in all of history that's done that says, if you want to know God, if you want to know the good news, come to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Because in Jesus, the good news and the good newser, the message and the messenger are one and the same. And that's why when we come to communion in a minute or two's time, we're doing something that is declaring not simply an aspiration, something we hope for. We're not simply enacting a religious ritual that makes us feel better. We're not simply going through the motions because we've done it hundreds or thousands of Sundays before. What we're doing is reenacting history. We're reaching back 2,000 years to a particular day in a particular place to a particular room where Jesus, the human who was also God, sat with his friends and broke bread and poured out wine and gave himself for them. It's good news of a victory won over sin and death. It makes history different. And it's good news for us and for all the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you lived on this earth at a particular point on our planet, at a particular point in history. You left footprints in the earth. You left crumbs on your plate. Thank you that you died a real death on a piece of wood that the the blood you spilt landed in the sand. Thank you that when you rose, you brought new life into our history. You gave us a taste of the life of the world to come. Thank you that this is good news, a victory won. Thank you most of all that you were God running towards us before we'd done anything for you because you love us and our prayer is that as we come to communion together 
you would be for us, you would give to us all that we need as we worship you, that you would remind us of this victory won, that we're yours and that uh, we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to communion straight away um, and uh, once we're receiving or waiting to receive, Carl and the band will lead us uh, in worship. Um, Helen, I wonder whether we can have the, the word